Deep breath, everyone. We survived the 2023 Utah legislative session. Barely, though. I'm still buzzing from all the late night voting. But they did adjourn, sign a die before midnight. Truly one of the biggest accomplishments of the session. Sign a die? Basically Latin for indefinitely. Finito. We're out of here. I'm Sage Miller. And I'm Sean Higgins. Although we didn't go till the stroke of midnight like previous sessions have, votes were still being cast pretty late on Friday. And so many bills were passed. 575 bills in 45 days to be exact. A new record. How's that for efficiency? This week on State Street, we'll catch you up on some of the bills we've talked about this season on the podcast. And we sit down with legislative leaders and Governor Spencer Cox to get their thoughts on the session. Okay, this was our first go at covering the legislature full time. I knew it was going to be nonstop and my calves were going to get buff from walking so many flights of marble stone stairs. But holy smokes, they whipped through those bills. You did need a healthy dose of caffeine to get through it all. The last week of the session was so fast paced. Bills were flying from one chamber to the other all week. If you blinked, you might have missed something really important. Honestly, it was worth it just to hear the Senate reading clerk's voice. Read me 575 bills any day. Fifth substitute, Senate Bill 118, Water Efficient Landscaping Incentives, Senator Sandal. So smooth. Scott Lloyd, you could have a career in radio. Throughout the session, there were many controversial measures. Let's do a quick recap of some of the biggest bills this year. Transgender health care. Lawmakers passed and Governor Cox signed a bill banning gender-affirming health care like hormone therapy and surgery for transgender minors. This was one of the heaviest topics the legislature tackled, and they did it in the first week of the session. Tax cuts. $850 million tax reduction package. They cut income tax slightly. They also passed a constitutional amendment coming to your ballot in 2024. Voters will have the choice to remove the constitutional earmark that requires income tax to go solely to the education fund. If voters approve, lawmakers could spend some of that money on more than just education. And people can say goodbye to the state portion of the food sales tax. Speaking of education, Republicans coupled a $6,000 per teacher raise with a school choice, aka a voucher, program. This one was also taken care of right out of the gate. The bill was passed and signed by the governor soon after the session started. Water and air quality. Nearly $500 million of Utah's $29 billion budget will go towards water projects throughout the state. Some of that chunk of change will be used to update infrastructure on farms to save every drop of our precious water. When it comes to air quality, both parties came together to pass a bill authorizing an in-depth study of where Utah's smog comes from and what's exactly in it. We should see those results at the end of 2024. And abortion. Starting in 2024, abortion clinics will be closed in Utah. In order to get an abortion, a pregnant person will have to head to a hospital or other state-approved facility. The bill also states that a person that became pregnant as a result of rape or incest can't get one after the 18-week mark. Oh, and for the record, Utah officially has a new state flag. You did it, Senator Dan McKay! Senator McKay did get a little misty-eyed when the new flag passed. 
There was also a lot of hard work done out of the public eye to iron out differences on just about every one of those 575 bills. I think it's important to note that while the controversial measures get the most attention, like trans health care and abortion, the majority of bills pass unanimously. Like Democratic Representative Angela Romero and Republican Senator Wayne Harper coming together to keep people safe when they're using dating apps. That bill passed unanimously through both chambers of the legislature. And most lawmakers have pretty good working relationships with people across the aisle. We've mentioned this before, but the Utah legislature is a Republican supermajority. But even supermajorities have their disagreements. Leading the Republican caucus is no small job. I caught up with Senate Majority Leader Evan Vickers in the final days of the session. We saw a number of controversial bills come out of the legislature right out of the gate. Was that a conscious choice by leadership? It was. You know, every year that I've been up here, and this is my 15th year, it seems like we always have bills that are hanging overhead at the end of the session that cause controversy. You know, you can, it really doesn't matter when you do some of those types of bills, there will be criticism. If you do them early, you're saying the criticism is, well, you're trying to rush them through before anybody knows what's going on. If you do them at the end of the session, oh, you were just rushing it through at the end of the session, you should wait till interim. So there's, it's, it's kind of a danged if you do, danged if you don't kind of concept. But in hindsight, I'm really glad that we front-loaded the session with a couple of very controversial bills because I can't even imagine the pressure would be under if we still had those hanging over our heads right now. So I think it was a good, wise choice to do those earlier in the session. We actually had more time to consider them. And those two issues had been considered throughout the whole interim. So it wasn't like it was brand new to the legislature. And so by doing those in the first couple of weeks, we had more time to really discuss and vet them and uh, get them off the table, so to speak. Y'all have gone through a lot of bills this session. We have. What are some of the highlights for you in the 2023 legislative session? Uh, highlights, uh, we, we, you're going to see a lot of real positive things. You know, the budget is always king. Uh, education funding, holy cow. Um, total education funding increases 18.5%. So there's a significant amount of money going into education. Uh, historic tax cuts, you know, you $400 million in, in tax cuts, including, you know, components of, of income tax, Social Security, earned income tax credit, and child deductions. You're seeing not, uh, just a historic amount of money going into water and transportation. There was a lot of really good things happening in the session. What has been one of the hardest bills for you to vote on this session? Uh, HB 215, you know, the bill that uh, did the you know, the scholarships, last voucher, and the teacher raise. That was a, that was a difficult position for me. And it's it's been no mystery. I, I have not been a supporter of a voucher-type concept. I represent pretty much rural areas, and I don't feel like that was very helpful. But at the same token, I could see that there was a lot of momentum. Um, I, I had a choice. I could have just uh, gone and, and said no on the bill, and the bill would have passed and gone into law. The other choice I had was to get involved and try to get some real positive things for education. And I had to kind of evaluate personally how in my position, maybe even in a leadership position, how can I get the, the most positive things to come out of that eventually with that bill. So that was a very difficult vote for me. Are you satisfied with how the session has played out? Um, where Anywhere you think more could have been done, anywhere you wish things would have gone differently? You know, our sessions are very unique. They're short and they're intense. There's always things that get left undone. 
you know, when I started into politics, I asked a close friend and a guy that had been involved in local politics for a long time, I asked him for some advice, and he says, I'll give you two pieces of advice. One is, he said, never be afraid to ask for more time. And then two, if you ever look back and say you never made a mistake, you're lying. And so we always, we always leave a few things undone. We make a few mistakes. And sometimes we have to come back and fix those. But overall, no, the session has gone quite well. We've had really good relations with the House, you know, the, between the Senate and the House, and even with the governor's office. And so I feel really good about that perspective and working through different pieces of policy and funding. And so from that perspective, no, I think it's been a very, very good session. Thank you so much, Senator Vickers. I appreciate your time, and the floor eagerly awaits you. Yes, it does. Thank you very much. That was Cedar City Republican Senator Evan Vickers. He represents District 28. On the House side, there are even more members to keep track of and hold together. Over 500 bills were introduced by House members alone in this session. Deciding which ones get priority falls largely on the shoulders of House Majority Leader Mike Schultz. We had a chance to talk in between votes in that last week. All right, so lots of bills tied two things together that might have different supporters this year. We're looking at the teacher raises being paired with the scholarship fund, limiting the food tax in exchange for a constitutional amendment on the income tax. What was the strategy behind some of those bills? Yeah, so great question. So I'm going to take uh, HB 215 first, and that was the one that gave the parents more choices for their uh, students' education while giving teachers a direct increase. Almost, uh, it was $6,000 in total compensation uh, per year. So last year, uh, we ran the school choice bill, and it failed. And one of the biggest reasons uh, it failed is because people said we were hurting public education. And so we wanted to put those two things together to say, no, we, not only are we not hurting public education, we are making a significant investment in public education. And so we wanted to show our commitment to public education. Uh, the bill uh, was $60 million for school choice, $200 million direct pay increase to teachers. And so we wanted to show our commitment to public education. So that was just one portion of what ended up in the public education uh, budget overall. So uh, now, uh, yes, so tax cut on food coupled with an earmark removal. Unfortunately, we can't remove the state's portion of the sales tax on food without removing that earmark because the Constitution ties our hands on what sales tax can be spent on and what income tax can be spent on. And so this just lets the voters make the decision. If I could take us back to the early weeks of the session, yeah. when SB 16, the transgender health care bill, was up for a final vote in the House, you ultimately voted for it, but you said on the floor that you actually struggled with the decision. Yes. Can you elaborate a little bit more on your reasoning there? Yeah, it was a, such a tough decision because you're trying to balance where does government get involved with parents' rights and uh, what's best for their kid. And I went back and forth, honestly, on that vote uh, because it is such a sensitive subject. No doubt the kids in question certainly are going through some rough times. We need to wrap our arms around them, do all we can to help them through those times. But to be making life-altering decisions uh, before the age of 18, I, I just really think uh, needed to wait. As the House Majority Leader, you preside over a supermajority here in Utah. 
How do you keep all of your members together for some of these tougher votes? And is that the most difficult part about the job? That is the most difficult part of the job. As you mentioned, I have 61 caucus members out of 75. Uh, we honestly have probably more disagreements amongst ourselves. Um, but the biggest thing is, you know, we're lucky because it, altogether, I think the people that are up here in the legislature that serve the citizens of this state, they're elected by the people of the state. I think we have great, great people in the state of Utah on both sides of the aisle. And I think they have elected great people to come and represent them uh, in, in Utah. Are you satisfied with what's been accomplished? This I, session? I think this has been the biggest session in modern history. If you look at all the big policy issues that we've looked at and addressed, absolutely, I'm satisfied. I'm so proud of the whole legislature as a whole. As you know, the majority of the bills we passed are bipartisan. Uh, you know, we really work well together. Uh, we're not like Washington's D.C. Washington's broken. I have a great relationship with every member of my caucus and the majority caucus and every member of the minority caucus, the Democrat caucus. And we really work hard to benefit all Utahns. And so while we may disagree a little bit occasionally, we really uh, most of the time find a way to come forward uh, to benefit all Utahns. And I think this year it's hard to argue uh, that this wasn't the best legislative session in modern history. Representative, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak uh, to your listeners. And uh, uh, one more day. That was Republican Representative Mike Schultz from Hooper, District 12. On the Democratic side, things went a little differently. Utah Dems are in an interesting spot as a super minority. They can't do anything on their own and need to rely on broad Republican support to get anything they want passed. I was able to catch up with House Minority Leader Angela Romero on the day after the session to get her reflections on the last 45 days. How are you feeling? I am just waiting for my moment to exhale. You know, this is my first session as leader of my caucus, and so it was a huge learning curve. Even though I've been in the legislature and have served in leadership, it's, it's very different when you're actually the leader. So describe this session in one sentence. Roller coaster ride that I couldn't get off. <laughs> it's like they didn't let me off the roller coaster ride. Um, it, it was it was a really interesting session. I think this has been the most partisan session I've ever been involved with. The way in which we passed legislation this year, whether we're talking about education or whether we're talking about tax cuts, was very different than the past. And then just the attack on abortion and our trans kids, it just it was uh, it was very overwhelming. Republican leadership said that they were very happy about how the session went. As the House minority leader, what's your take? You know, for them, they saw that as, um, you know, they were breaking records, but at what expense? And, and you know, this is the, the questions I raised to our majority leader and even to our speaker. At what expense? So we're going to give teachers a $6,000 raise, but we're also giving money to families to take their kids out of public school. So is that really a win for us? Getting rid of the earmark and then saying we're prioritizing education, but there's a catch there. Is this really the Utah way? Is this the direction we want to go? And we'll see what voters have to say in 2024. 
Democrats lost a couple of key seats in the last election. We did. How do you navigate making laws in a supermajority while not abandoning your political principles? Yeah, we are the super, super minority. Um, You know, I have to give the majority credit here in Utah for one thing, because I'm the president elect of the National Hispanic Caucus of State Legislators. And so I interact with legislators from across the country. And what's unique about us is we are able to pass key legislation and we are able to make change. Um, Representative Doug Owens um, put an appropriation request in for $20 million on um, wildlife crossing. As we saw in, in Utah with this new snowfall, we saw a lot of elk on the freeway and we had to close it down. And so that's an important issue to him. And he worked with our majority leader to secure that funding. Senator Escamilla was able to pass a bill to ensure that all children have access to health care regardless of their status. And so we have a lot of mixed status families here in Utah where some members of the family are citizens, some are not. And now we have young kids that will have access to health care. So when people say you're the super minority, um, you know, I'll, yeah, there was some policy that we definitely didn't agree with, that we definitely fought against. But there was legislation that we were able to pass um, because of the relationships we have with the super majority. Um, my friendship with Majority Leader Representative Schultz and I, and we may not agree on issues, but we can have really open and honest conversations. I wouldn't say we're partisan like many other states where it's just like, screw Democrats, they're not going to get anything done. Um, maybe we couldn't stop some horrible bills that horrified many of us, such as the ban on our trans youth and just the attacks I feel like some of our, our youth have experienced, or maybe the access to abortion. And, and those are, are really, really important issues to us. But at the same time, we're able to um, pass legislation that's meaningful and that directly impacts the citizens of Utah. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and I hope you can take a break after a crazy roller coaster of a 45 day session. Yes, I am going to have a mimosa with some good Mexican food right after I get off this call. So I, I hope you enjoy your day as well. And I hope you get the rest you need to. Yes. And cheers to the mimosa. Have one in my honor. I will. I'll admit, I have two or three, and I'm not driving. <laughs> Good. That was Representative Angela Romero. She's the Democrat from Salt Lake's District 25. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, what does the governor think of how things went? And what comes next? You're listening to State Street. Support for State Street comes from the Hinckley Report podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about the biggest political headlines in the Beehive State. Find new episodes of PBS Utah's The Hinckley Report every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to State Street. I'm Sean Higgins. And I'm Sage Miller. Let's remember back to the very first week of the legislative session, in case you've blocked it out. It was a little overwhelming to think about just how much needed to be accomplished in the next 45 days. But, you know, I'd have faith we'd be up to the task. And we nailed it. Completely rocked it. 
We sat down with Governor Spencer Cox just before the session started to get a sense of his agenda for the year. He highlighted things like tax cuts, water policy, and affordable housing as a few of his top priorities. Now that the session's over, we were able to snag a few minutes with the Gov to chat about his thoughts on how the legislature went about its business this session. Overall, he thought it was a raging success. He told us he didn't really have any veto plans as of now. He believed the approach of front-loading the session with controversial bills was strategic, but could have been executed a little better. I don't know if, if it was the right way or the wrong way. I will say I liked getting to the heavy stuff because that means we're not dealing with it on the last day of the session, again, where sometimes we see there's not a chance for people to weigh in. Um, but at the same time, there were a couple times they suspended the rules, moved things along a little quicker than they had to. That's the only regret I have. I, I don't think that was necessary. I don't, I don't know that it would have changed the outcome. But, but I, I do think in the minds of some people, at least, they felt like that it was a rushed process when it didn't need to be. If they, Even if they'd taken just three or four more days um, and held maybe one more additional hearing so that there wasn't a suspension of the rules. Now, we suspend the rules, they suspend the rules the last week of the session on everything. So to them, it's normal, but I, I don't think to the average person paying attention, they really uh, understood what that means. And, and so that's one area where I think they could have done it a little better. And lawmakers really leaned into smooshing two policies together that might have different supporters. Teacher pay raises in tandem with the school choice scholarship fund, removing the food sales tax if voters do away with the income tax earmark on education in the state constitution. Here's what Cox had to say about that strategy. Whenever I get asked about that, I just say, like, welcome to the United States. This is how the system has worked from the, from the day we became a country, right? I mean, you know, there's the, the famous historical piece and any fans of the, the Hamilton musical, right, where they were talking about where, where they were going to put the capital in Virginia, you know, and, and New York gets the, the, the financial piece of that, those institutions. Those types of agreements have been happening for, forever. And you, you have to get enough votes for whatever it is you want to see accomplished. And so I, I think it's it's part of our history. It's part of our system. But, but I would also say that um, those things have tended to work out really well for education. Um, the, Education gave up a little and got a whole bunch more in return. And so I think it was an incredible, in both of those instances, uh, a really powerful uh, example of how we can work together to find solutions that benefit um, everyone. You heard the man. That's just how America works. He also added in a Hamilton reference for all you fans out there. <coughs> no, don't you dare start singing. <laughs> With the 2023 general session now over, what happens now? First and foremost, Governor Cox has to break out his favorite pen, hopefully a G2 pilot, 0.05, that's the only right answer, and get signing. He has 575 bills to get through by March 23rd. That's the last day the governor can sign bills. Anyone that doesn't get a signature by then goes into effect automatically. We'll see what happens after he looks at all 575 of them. And that's way more than we have time to recap here. But if you are curious about any of the bills passed this session, you can always check out more of our reporting at KUER.org. Even though the general session is over, that doesn't mean lawmakers are on vacation until next January. Many of them have these things called a day job. And tons of work gets done in interim sessions throughout the rest of the year. Sometimes a special session will even be called if there's a pressing issue that needs the immediate attention of lawmakers. 
Just for reference, there were four special sessions in 2020 and 2021 during the COVID-19 pandemic to handle all the things happening in the state at the time. We don't anticipate that many in 2023, but we'll keep an eye out for you. But there will be several interim sessions, and a few bills that didn't quite cut the mustard this go-round could get worked on and be reintroduced next year. There were bills like Senator John Johnson's that would get rid of diversity, equity, and inclusion offices at state universities. Johnson said that bill was too harsh and would work on it during the interim. Other bills that could get more work again in the interim include water, elections, and censoring discussions of sexuality in kindergarten through third grade. And House Minority Leader Angela Romero will once again put forth a bill that requires clergy to report child sexual abuse to law enforcement. We only have one more episode of this season left. Just like the first episode of the season, we got a Democrat and a Republican to sit down together and talk about how the session went for each of them. Bipartisan Bridges, here we come. And with that, sign a die. I'm Sean Higgins. And I'm Sage Miller. The show's executive producer is Caroline Ballard. She has been the stable force this whole season. Caroline worked many long hours and weekends to bring everyone this show. She made sure we were fed during long days at the Capitol. She checked on our well-being throughout the long 45-day session and overall is just the backbone of State Street. This show would not be the same without you, Caroline. We are eternally grateful for you. Editing and production support comes from KUER News Director Elaine Clark and David Childs. Our digital team includes Jim Hill, Raquel Davis, Eleanor Gomberg, and Renee Bright. State Street is a production of KUER. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find State Street. See you next week. The House of Representatives has finished its business and is prepared prepared to adjourn and die. Or sorry, to adjourn and sign and die. From KUER.